This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 6, Episode 5. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, brought to you by Mountain Man Medical and part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows. Today is Tuesday, April 19th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode. And I am your host, your humble, humble host, Riley Bowman. And we are joined today by our not-so-humble, amazing <laughs> producer, Matthew Marister. Uh, I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm, I'm happy to be here with you, man. <laughs> Let me tell you, in public, he 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 puts on this this you know air of humility <laughs> but behind closed doors man total jerk <laughs> i'm a total i'm a monster i <laughs> uh, just teasing matthew is one of the most humble people i know uh today's episode is a special one of course they're all special they are all amazing uh talk about humility right <laughs> But we're talking about the Shooter Raid Challenge, most recently published uh, on ShooterRaidChallenge.com. And what can we learn from this one simple low round count drill, also known as the Mozambique drill or failure drill or failure to stop drill? I've heard it talked about three different ways. Uh, this is a very, very simple drill, three rounds, and we're going to break down what can we learn from three simple rounds. Well, I would say quite a bit, actually. So uh, let's get into that here momentarily. But first, today's episode is sponsored by the sponsors of Shooter Ray Challenge, which are laserapp.com. That is L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com, which stands for the Laser Activated Shot Reporter Software, which I've been using for like six or seven years now, something like that, pretty much since almost the beginning, since they launched that product. And it has come a long ways in that time. And I still believe it to be the finest software for the purpose out there. There's other great competing products too, but I think Laser App is the best. And they've been doing it the longest. Uh, check out the Laser X version, which works with any internet connected device that has a web browser. I use it on my iPad all the time, which uh, I'll tell you when that came along, the, the Laser X version was a blessing because. I really just wanted to be able to use it on my iPad or my MacBook. And before that point, the Laser Classic Edition only worked on PCs <laughs> or Windows-based machines. And so, uh, which I moved away from a number of years ago. So here we are, many years later. Uh, I think LaserX has actually been out for a few years now, but it's a great, great software. Check it out again at laserapp.com. This is the way, I think, to gather training data in dry fire practice and that's where i think the true value therein lies with software like laser x and laser classic uh there's a lot of things we can do in dry fire a lot of things we could do without technology even but i think one of the most accurate ways we can put together data and track that data much in the same way we do on the live fire range is with software like laserapp.com so check it out on our website today, uh, I highly recommend just buying a lifetime license. I think it's worth every penny and get a lot of use out of it. Cool thing, too, is with the Laser uh, X version, for sure, you get uh, built-in challenges, which we used for inspiration of a lot of the earlier Shooter Ray Challenge videos. 
uh, and they've added to those and a lot of lot of great options and features there. Today's other episode sponsor is BarrelBlock. BarrelBlock.com. That's BarrelBlock with a K. Uh, if that doesn't make sense, B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K.com. Uh, this is, I think, the safest way to do dry fire practice with your live fire gun uh, and do so in a manner that you know because you have a very obvious, distinct, brightly colored, high contrast colored device that you've put in t- into the chamber that's blocking the chamber, blocking the barrel, comes out the end of the barrel. You can visually verify it's there and that it's installed. And that's the way I like to do a lot of my dry fire practice. Uh, so check it out, barrelblock.com. Okay. It frees you up a little bit. For those of you in particular that live in homes or apartments or other conditions where maybe you don't have as well defined so-called safe direction, uh, which is some of you, perhaps many of you, then absolutely use a barrel block. It's that extra layer of protection that you know means that you can conduct dry fire safely. Still want to abide by all the firearm safety rules best we can as well. You know, choosing our best safe direction, for instance. But use barrel block for that extra layer of security and, and, and confidence. Check it out, barrelblock.com. Barrelblock with a K.com. Let's get into our content today, Matthew. Uh, I imagine that you've viewed the Shooter Ray Challenge video? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. So what's your initial impressions on the this one simple low round count drill? Yes. <laughs> so I'll kind of uh, preface the drill and then I'll let you get into the nuts and bolts. But basically, um, you guys have probably heard about Mozambique drill or the failure to stop or failure drill. Um, this drill is... Uh, maybe you've just heard of it by how you've ru- how you run it, which is two to the chest, one to the head. You might have heard that or done that on a, on a range or something like that. Um, this is where that that uh, came from, uh, and um, basically, it's a good balance of um, working on a draw. Right, we come from the draw. You're about seven yards. Um, you're working on your draw. You're working on presentation. Um, quick draw to first shot plus a little bit of recoil management, right? You're only getting a couple shots in there, but there is some aspect of recoil management there. And then, um, a target transition and, um, going from a large target, uh, large hit area to a smaller hit area and doing it under time. And so, um, I liked the fact that you picked this drill because although the, the build drill is a fantastic drill, um, it is double the amount of rounds as this drill. This is three rounds to the chest, one of the head. So in a time where ammunition is, uh, the price is a little bit higher, um, it's nice to be able to do a low round count. I know we're talking about dry fire here, but eventually you would go to the range and, and shoot this live fire. Um, but yeah, so uh, a, more of a low, lower round count uh, drill that balance that that works on a many different skills all at once. So, um, yeah, yeah, I that's a great assessment of it. I believe I wanted to also touch on a little bit of the history of the drill uh, for folks that are interested in that kind of thing. And so I, I stumbled upon this in years past and read about it. A couple different sources seem to validate uh, this storyline, which I'm going to 
abbreviate from an article on shootingillustrated.com written by uh, Sheriff Jim Wilson, uh, which is titled The Mozambique Drill, A History and How-To. And again, I'd, I'd read this account a uh, number of different uh, locations and, and from various sources through the years. <clears throat> so it starts out by talking about how in 1964 through 1974, uh, the country in Mozambique was going through uh, what was known as the Mozambican War of Independence. And Mike Rousseau was one of the mercenaries who was hired in that war. Uh, during the course of the conflict, he was engaged in fighting at the airport. Uh, in the city of Maputo, as it's now known, during that that uh, that fighting there, uh, he came around the corner of a building at one point and was face to face with uh, an enemy combatant who was armed with an AK-47. Rousseau quickly brought his pistol up <clears throat> and put two rounds into the chest of this enemy combatant. He brought his pistol back down to more of a low ready position after he fired those two rounds. I think expecting that something, you know, I, 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 my understanding is he put, put those two rounds like right in the high center chest, like sort of a, I know I hit him and I know I hit him good kind of thing. And so I think he initially was like, yep, got him. And like, he's going to go down kind of thing. But the, the, the soldier did not. And is at that point, as the soldier was still holding onto his rifle and I think beginning to move it towards him or something to that effect, then Rousseau brought his pistol back up and shot him once in the head. Although he, it, it does describe that he may have jerked the trigger or whatever, something to that effect didn't make as good a shot as he otherwise could have, but actually ended up striking him in the throat. And, uh, but that was enough to drop him at that point. And of course, Rousseau lived uh, to, see another day and tell his tale, which he did later in, in later years to Colonel Jeff Cooper, of course. And uh, it was Cooper that ended up adapting that drill and teaching it at Gunsight, his training academy, and gave it the name the Mozambique Drill. Well, at some point, a couple of famed SWAT officers from LAPD visited Gunsight for training. Jeff Cooper showed them the Mozambique drill or, you know, it was presented to them in the course of, uh, of, of the course that they, I think it was a 250 course. It says here in the article, which is still taught at gunsight today. One of those officers was known as Larry, or his name is Larry Mudgett, who is still active and in teaching today. And I had friends in the last few months that have taken classes from him and making me very jealous. I'd like to one day maybe try to slip into a Larry Mudgett course somewhere. Um, Mudgett said that they were very impressed with the Mozambique drill and wanted to take it back to the LAPD SWAT team um, however they felt like calling it the Mozambique drill might not be the most politically correct name for it so they asked for permission to refer to it as the failure drill which Cooper said yeah no problem call it whatever you want so um, that's kind of a little bit of the history of the drill That's it was based on an actual event out of Mozambique during some fighting, uh, adapted by Jeff Cooper, passed on to guys like Larry Mudgett and John Helms. I don't know if John Helms is still teaching, but I, like I said, I know Larry, Larry Mudgett still is and uh, still something that is often referred to today. Now, another little history lesson, this concept was really popularized, I think. Like, I think it really came to the, pu the public uh, consciousness through a famous scene uh, 
in the classic TV series, Miami Vice. In 1984, was a famous, ep- famous episode uh, titled uh, um, Calderon's uh, Return Part 1. And in that one, there is a hired hitman who's played by an actual IPSC or IPSC competitive shooter named Jim Zubiena. Jim was hired by Hollywood for a number of years as a consultant because he was well regarded at that, at that time. He, at that time, he was he was a top like national level IPSC competitor, and they were so impressed with him and his skill, they brought him on. Uh, to uh, I think initially to play that part of that hitman because they had this this vision of this scene of how it would play out and was was looking for somebody that had that level of skill and then he was also again uh, throughout the rest of the I think the remainder of that series and for, in a number of shows years afterward uh, hired as a consultant but also he played another part small parts throughout the years doing some more research on this Jim Zubiana has talked about that, uh, that scene, that famous scene. Uh, and he comes face to face with a guy, you know, I, I can't remember who the character is. I, I need to go back and see if I can, uh, find somewhere to rewatch this whole, I remember seeing this and I've seen video clips of it through the years. Um, but he's told like, he's got a shotgun, he's shooting up, you know, the place and stuff. And he, he's told to show me your hands, put your weapon down. He discards the shotgun, shows his hands. Right. And he's at gunpoint with this, this guy. And he all of a sudden draws from a surrender position, pulls his gun out, puts two rounds in the chest and one in the head and drops the guy. So that was the scene. And I I think that's that one scene probably single-handedly really brought the, the concept of two to the body, one to the head to the public awareness Mm -hmm. and consciousness, which is kind of remarkable if you think about it. Mm. that one scene also became the basis and uh, the inspiration behind an actual shooting challenge, which is done by um, a guy known on Instagram, uh, Canon762. His name's Chris. He's a good friend of mine. Chris is awesome. And uh, I wanted to take a stab at that challenge. The first 50 people that could accomplish it got a, a patch known as the uh, Vice Card. Uh, named after Miami Vice. And uh, I earned that. And to accomplish that, you had to shoot a Mozambique drill, starting from a surrender position, from concealment, just like it was done in this Miami Vice scene, and place two into the into the A zone of a USPSA target and one into a 3x5 card representing a head target in 1.38 seconds or less. Because the company that makes a packed timers actually analyzed that video scene and calculated that it that he accomplished that in 1.38 seconds. You know, this is Jim Zubiena playing that, that role of that hitman. And so like very, very, very fast. <laughs> okay. It, it, that's very spicy uh, to do that in 1.38 seconds. If you can do it in sub two seconds, you're pretty dang good. All right. Just so you know, put it in context. Um, here's the other interesting little tidbit about Jim Zubiana or, uh, he, uh, he did not practice that, that scene that he did not practice that draw and shoot two or anything like that. I mean, I, they knew what he was going to do, but, uh, the take you see in the show is pretty much like that's the take they filmed. Hmm. 
And like that was just his natural raw speed and ability. And so uh, it's pretty pretty cool and pretty cool to see how that was captured by an actual like legit shooter, not just some Hollywood actor that was you know playing a part, playing a role, or was or was shown how to do something. But this is somebody that actually knew how to shoot legitimately and handle a gun. And so anyway, a little bit of a long winded uh, recounting of some history, but there there is some history there, and it's kind of interesting, I think, actually, uh, and, and just under you know coming to understanding of of. I think why it's such a well-known drill and is still referred to by many in the shooting community today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just sitting here. I knew some of that, but certainly not to the detail, the level of detail and all that. So I'm just, I was just sitting here kind of, I forgot I was on the podcast. I was just <laughs> listening, but, but yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting. And, and, you know, like I wanted to touch on something because I know that a lot of people, um, sort of use this drill as almost like a technique, if you would. Mm. Um, And I just wanted to address it because it is so well known that some people believe like, well, that's how I train. Like I just train to, if I see a threat, I shoot two to the chest and one to the head. And that's just my training. And regardless of the threat level or, you know, there's no assessment in between shots and, and it's just kind of a reflexive thing. And mm-hmm. I, and, and certainly there is a time and a place where that would be the most appropriate response during, you know, given your situation. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to kind of break it away from like us teaching it, or if, if we come across as, and it's unclear, like this isn't a technique to say, this is what you do if somebody pulls a knife on, this is a drill that's, that is working on individual skill sets and putting them together. So you can um, improve these micro skills or however you want to call it, uh, these individual skills and kind of have some sort of um, metric. um, And and it's certainly a good metric to have because it it would be a a very good drill, like in a, a situation where you do put two, shots into attacker and the person is still attacking and maybe wearing body armor. Maybe they're not, but, um, you know, um, so I just wanted to kind of clarify that because there is some sort sometimes a gray area in there that Mm -hmm. gets caught. No, I, I, which is perfect. Like you did perfectly in that regard. Uh, cause I certainly planned on touching that as well. If, if you didn't, uh, but you're the amazing Matthew Marister. So, (laughs) course i expect no less uh and let's be clear actually the the way this was originally taught at gunsight as a drill was that you would fire you 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 draw and present and fire two rounds to the chest and then actually assess mm-hmm. the situation and then you'd place one round into the head uh as sort of a, a way of simulating like i'm gonna come up i'm gonna shoot bam bam two into the chest and then if it's needed then i am going to follow it up with maybe that that extra shot for certainty you know for for confirmation of of you know ending the problem kind of thing and when uh larry mudgett and john helms took this back to lapd swat in the early 80s uh they felt like that was potentially setting up their officers to train this sort of like a double tap bam, bam. And then pause 
and that that might cost them precious time in a moment when they might actually just need to continue shooting. And so they adapted to just going one, two, and then immediately taking that third shot. And so this, but this, and so like, I understand like that's a well-meaning adaptation as well of the drill, the original drill. Um, But as is the case with so many things, especially where context is lost and context is so often lost in the firearms training community, Mm -hmm. especially with things like shooting drills like this. Then that's taken again. That's the, the, the LEPD SWAT version of this is then taken a step further and uh, context is lost. And and then people focus so much on this. Well, I'm going to go to the body, one to the head. And like you said, it just sort of becomes this technique and it's just, it's kind of like I've, I've been to the range a number of times and actually I'm positive a couple of those trips I, I'm referencing the same individual because it wouldn't surprise me at all where I know there's this guy here locally that shoots on an indoor range that goes, you know, like in the middle of the day, like I, I sometimes will do, you know, about like maybe noontime or lunchtime, I might sneak over to the indoor range for 30, 45 minutes and, you know, do a little bit of practice or something. And I'm pretty sure the same guy does the same thing. And a lot of his practice is like double taps, like all day long, you know, or the whole time, the whole range session is just draw, bop, bop drop up up drop up up you know and it's like it's clear to me that this this double tap essentially has become just a his nat like his his subconsciously programmed response to a threat as though that like no matter what if there's a threat presented he's gonna bam bam twice and that's it and then maybe followed up again with again two it's like it's he's always shooting in pairs Double tap, by the way, the way I define that is one side picture, two shots. Not advisable. Some people would talk about then the, the better way being a controlled pair, which is two side pictures, two shots. Um, that's a little bit better. But who, who's to say that you're automatically going to need two shots? Maybe one's all you need, but yet you're programmed to fire two. Or maybe you need three or four. But again, you stop after two and then you're like, oh, wait, I need two more. And maybe in that brief space of time, your adversary is able to regain some initiative because you stopped engaging for a brief moment. So um, the point is, is like with so many things, we don't want them to become, especially with drills, we don't want them to become these techniques or tactics that are baked into our ingrained you know subconscious responses to threats like everything should come with a thought process involved every shot should be a decision that's made and that we continue making the decision to continue firing in a manner that will likely result in a stoppage of that threat until we decide we need to stop or we need to change uh or adapt course because what we're doing isn't working one one common thing that's brought up with respect to the failure to stop drill is that we would shoot we we would do something such a thing such as two to the body one to the head because we didn't get a the desired effect after two shots in the chest and they could be wearing body armor and therefore we got to go to the head and that might be our only option well there there might be some logic to that but how often is that the scenario very rarely i would say 
it's very rare that our threat is going to be wearing body armor. I mean, certainly it's good to be prepared for that possibility, but it's a, a remote possibility. And so if we, if we are drilling shots into the chest, one, two, three, four, five, and at some point we're like, this is not working. Well, then maybe at that point we make that decision that it's time to, to switch to something else. Or we got to be looking for visual cues like how the individual is dressed. They're wearing some kind of tactical looking vest or plate carrier. Or or maybe we can start picking out the details that underneath their shirt, underneath their clothing, we can pick out the little you know bulges, if you will. The edges in particular was what we'll show. Uh, or might look very, very flat sometimes too when someone's wearing body armor. All kinds of things we got to be looking for and aware of to feed information into the brain processing center that says, here's the tactic to employ in this particular scenario. So anyway, just wanted to provide my own context to what you had uh, addressed there, Matthew, which I thought was spot on. Here's what, before I hand this back to you, Here's what I want people to take away from something like the Mozambique drill. Okay. Don't think of it as a technique or a tactic like we've just discussed. Think of it purely as just a drill, a drill that's intended to it to test you on certain shooting skills. And frankly, my opinion about it is that it is probably the, the least Number of rounds required to test multiple skills within shooting. If you only do two rounds, you don't quite get the same effect. Uh, one round is obviously just one round. Two rounds, not enough. We could do things that are more than three rounds, and there's there can be benefit to that, but we can gain a lot of benefit from practicing something like a failure to stop drill. Yeah. And, and you're using one target too, which is, mm -hmm. you know, you're getting, I know the transitions aren't great transitions, right? We're not talking about three foot transitions or something. Um, but a transition to transitions in the, in the, I think the processes that you use on a small transition are the same processes you use on a large transmission transition. You just do it art, you know, it's a bigger transition. Mm -hmm. So if you're working mm -hmm. on these, and, 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 you know, it's, it's good because, um, like you said, it's a low round count. It works on multiple skills, um, a single, single target. Um, it's seven yards. Um, you, you really, I mean, you, you use, uh, you, you could use different types of targets really, right? Like as long as the general sizes are, if you're going to grade it or you're not grade it, but if you're going to count it and keep some sort of statistical like, like what we're talking about keeping a statistical a running statistic so you can have long-term metrics you might want to use the the same target or something very similar so you're not you know using way different dimensions for your hit zones or whatnot but um but yeah i think um it's a certainly an appropriate drill and it hits all those little wickets and you know like that, like I, I kind of meant throughout the build drill there. And, you know, it's like, I've, I sometimes cut the build drill down to like three rounds and do it twice for, for people starting out. Because, you know, if, if they're starting out and they're trying to do a build drill and, you know, they go, they burn through ammunition so quickly. So you kind of chunk it down. And I think that that's kind of like, 
yeah, you could do a, you could do two rounds, one of the head, you could two to the head, or, you know, you could, you can mix up the numbers, but it's the way it's boiled down. It looks, it's like the, the simplest fundamental stuff that you need to run it. And it's, I, I like the drill. Yeah. Yeah. So if we break it down a little bit further, let me just give a little bit more specifics as far as what are the individual pieces or components or fundamentals, or what do you want to refer to them as, uh, uh, of skill that are contained in this one simple three round drill? Well, right off the bat, we're going to do this from the draw. Okay. And as specified in the, at least in the vice card challenge version of this, it's done from concealment. And even with like a, your hands in a surrender type position. Now, I don't know whether you have to do it that way or not. Um, I don't know that exactly the position that uh, Mike, Mr. Mike Rousseau was in, you know, that originally, you know, essentially did this for in real life. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But we do know we're doing it from the draw. So let's say you got your gun in your holster, concealed or otherwise, don't really care. Um, you can practice a variety of different ways. You can practice with your hands in a variety of different positions, but you're still performing a draw. So on a cue, you're going to the gun. You got to establish that master grip. You got to get the the gun out of the holster uh, quickly and efficiently up on target quickly and efficiently. We should see our sights come to where our eyes are looking, right? As should be the case just about any draw that we perform. And so the draw is the very first thing that's tested in Mozambique drill. All right. That first round, we got to put it where it counts. Okay. But we don't just shoot one round. This isn't just a draw to first shot. All right. We're firing two. So some measure of recoil management has to exist or else we're going to struggle with that second shot landing in the same hit area on the target as where our first round went. Uh, if we don't have good recoil management, yeah, we might end up with one good hit and one not so good hit. And uh, that's that's not good either. Uh, or we might not get that second hit in as efficient or as quick a time either if our recoil management is so poor that it takes some amount of time for the gun to recover and get back on target. So, So, draw so far. Recoil management, two critical things that are tested already. And this is done on a reasonably sized body, you know, kind of high center mass sized target, something that's appropriate to that. Uh, commonly, the USPSA targets used. IDP t- targets are also popular as well. So we're talking either a six by 11 inch A zone of a USPSA target, an eight inch circle of an IDPA target, which, by the way, I know I've talked about before, but sometimes I think people forget the eight inch circle of IDPA and the six by 11 of a USPSA target are both within fractions of a, of an inch of the same amount of uh, surface area. They're just shaped differently. Um, yeah. So draw two good hits, high center chest of a target. And then we've got a transition as you have just talked about a moment ago. And that transition, yeah, might not be very much. And it's going straight up, you know, from chest to, to head. Um, but uh, transition, it is a transition nonetheless. And not only that, but it's a transition to a smaller target, a much harder to hit target than our chest target was. And so now we introduce the concept of throttle control. 
And so right there in this one three-round count drill, you actually hit on most of these the uh, drill standards that I include in my uh, uh, pistol IQ standards. Because my my philosophy, my approach to how my curriculum is built and my pistol intelligence course and the standards that that uh, that we shoot, that students shoot, so they can demonstrate proficiency. Like we're testing accuracy, we're testing draw, we're testing recoil management, we're testing transitions. Oh wait, and we're testing throttle control. So actually, this one drill is kind of hitting on on maybe not to like as full an extent as some of the individual drills that I do that test those individual things, but we're kind of hitting on all those really core skills that I believe a a well-rounded competent shooter should be able to display in something as simple as failure drill. So that's, that's the genius side of such a simple drill. Now I wouldn't misconstrue me talking about it in this way as oh well that's that must be the one drill the one drill to do and it becomes this like super you know focus thing for you um i just think it's one drill that allows us to test these 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 various skills in a simple format with very low amounts of rounds of of ammunition and it it's also something that's got a track record of data and performance um, that you can find a lot of information out there on the on the on the webs about like what is considered to be a, a you know a really high level performance you can kind of measure or compare yourself to that as a standard of sorts and uh, even like John John Hearn uh, includes it on his uh, his little chart that uh, Oh, what's the name of that thing? Uh, uh, I'm going to look that up. I'll come back to you with that. Because, uh, you know, John Hearn's such a smart guy. He has these fancy, you know, names and words for things, and I'm just not that bright. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't help you there. I'm I'm, I'm a step down. So, um, but yeah, you know, what's interesting is that, like, um, Everything that you're talking about that goes into this sh- to this drill, it it, it is kind of summed up in in I don't want to say summed up, but um, we've talked about this concept a lot. Like y- you shooting how how visual shooting is right, like how much um, you need to be seeing what you're sh- not just seeing the target. But mm-hmm. understanding what the sights are looking like in in relationship to the target, right, or whatever you're you're aiming at, um, and um, and we kind of even, you know, you talked about the transition and the throttle control. That's part of like going off of the speed that you're going off of is visually, you know, it's 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 correlated to what you're seeing. Um, and we talked about this drill primarily, or it, I guess originally being devised to shoot and assess and then quickly transition to a small, you know what I mean? So there is some visual, not just visual stimulus coming in that you're analyzing in your brain from the sites, but what is this threat doing? And then how am I going to respond? And it's not just maybe two more to the chest. It's, Okay, for whatever reason, whatever visual stimulus you're you're 
you know, calculating your brain, I don't go to the chest, I go to the head. And so it's, it is kind of like a, a really interesting drill as you were kind of talking about as my mind is kind of, I, I wonder if there would, there would be a cool way to, um, while the person is in the midst of that shooting, that those first two shots, right. To quickly give them a stimulus to shoot a visual stimulus to shoot or no shoot and yeah. then have them, you know, reassess and, and how you could do that to, to not, not game this system, but make it, um, where they are using their brain to assess in between. And, yeah. and certainly there's time to, to do it sheer, sheer time, right? Like you're yep. just churning out the time, but, um, you could also break it off and, and do, do a little bit more, uh, mental exercise in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I did find what I was uh, referring to from uh, John Hearn, uh, referred to as his, as his typical performance and automaticity speculation chart. See, it's a bunch of fancy sounding <laughs> words. <laughs> and uh, he has a failure drill included on here. Uh, th- what this is, is this is a, a, a spectrum, you know, this, this chart that on the, along the bottom here says performance too poor to suggest automaticity. And this is one section on the very far left side. Uh, the next section performance suggests some automaticity the next section, performance sufficient to strongly suggest, suggest automaticity. And then finally, all the way to the far right, performance impossible without automaticity. This is a way of sort of grouping together different uh, known standards of performance. We got post-qual on here, the FAM qual, it's Federal Air Marshal's qualification, the casino drill, which is uh, Tom Givens' deal, the FBI bullseye qualification, uh, course of fire. Uh, various, you know, USPSA classification levels for all the way from D class up to grandmaster level, the fast test, another well-known standard of performance, build drills. Here's the failure drill. And then along the bottom, IDPA classifications. Mm-hmm. And it kind of suggests where he thinks, and he put this together with a lot of input from a lot of other very smart folks to kind of figure out kind of where things line up in terms of relative skill level. And it's a pretty fascinating approach. And so we see here that uh, the very, very far right bleeding edge, uh, certainly in that performance impossible without automaticity zone, uh, the failure drill he has lists as 1.2 seconds. Like if you can do a failure drill of Mozambique in 1.2 seconds or less, like, like that is far, far, like that's kind of, that's pretty much like, limit of human performance like limit of limit of possibilities here you see it's even beyond like gm level this is like gm gm you know super gm this is the jj rakazas the uh, nils johnson's the max michelle's of the world that can probably pretty consistently throw down 1.2 failure drills and 1.5 second build drills and so forth um the whole idea by the way of, of this automaticity these different levels of automaticity the the idea is to suggest that you know the more automatic to accomplish certain levels of skill you have to have those components of that skill like we have to be able to do those subconsciously automatically right like if you have to think about what it is you're doing while you're doing it you won't be able to do these higher level of skills or do them at these higher levels, right? It's kind of the idea. Uh, and so, 
you know, you see here a 1.5 second failure drill is is above the line, the, the break line between strongly suggests automaticity and if you can do this, it's impossible to do it without automaticity. Uh, it's kind of in that realm of, it's close to USPSA master class level. Um, it's above IDPA master. Uh, it's kind of in between a fast test of four and five seconds. And uh, it's a little bit beyond a two second build drill. And that, that probably adds up pretty, pretty closely, I think. So anyway, that's just a, some interesting context, I guess, to consider as you're kind of evaluating uh, where this might fall. I, I mentioned earlier in the show how a two-second failure drill, if you can do that, you're a really good shooter. And according to this, you're somewhere between like a A and B class USPSA shooter, and you're kind of right at that IDPA master class level. Uh, and that kind of adds up in my mind as well, uh, be able to do a failure drill in two seconds. So that sounds about right. Um, honestly though, if you can do it in like somewhere in the three second range, that's so I, I kind of consider this middle section of the chart, Matthew, like this is a dividing line between, um, performance suggests some automaticity and performance sufficient to strongly suggest automaticity. I kind of consider this, like we'll call it the 50% mark to be sort of this dividing line between mm, not quite competent enough in my opinion and yeah probably competent enough to be you know to do well in a stressful situation with a gun in your hand um i really like seeing people get more you know into the healthy middle of that that third category okay um does that kind of put you in that b class realm of uspsa in terms of uspsa class classification like that that just to me that that's been my own sort of assessment of skill. And like, if you can break the B class barrier as a USPSA competitor, I think you're, you're pretty good, frankly, as a shooter at that point. And it's probably worthwhile unless it's important to you to get substantially better. I think it's worthwhile at that point to maybe consider other skills that you haven't, you know, also worked on at that point. Um, but even still like, even with my own pistol intelligence uh, standards that I do, uh, I suggest that if you can score a 100 or better, you're kind of at that point that you're pretty, you're, 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 you're competent. And that is somewhere in the realm of a C class, a solid C class shooter. So you kind of see it, it puts you in this, in this third category. You know, there's, there's lots of room still to grow as we can see to the right of this, on the chart, but, uh, uh, lots of room to grow, but it's, this is, this is kind of the separation between the men and the boys and the women and the girls, you know, of, eh, still need to work on some stuff versus you're pretty solid, you know, like you can get good stuff done. Like if, if you're at that C class dividing line, like you should have no problem passing most fire, like even the more difficult firearm, uh, or excuse me, police officer uh, shooting quals. Yeah. So just something to think about. Anyway, yeah. failure drill is just one of those uh, these these categories. Thought I'd uh, show you kind of where that fits into all this. No, that that's really interesting. And you know, um, I think 
why does it, why does automaticity matter? And you know, if you're sitting there and it's like, okay, you're talking about all this is I'm not, I'm not a competitive, competitive shooter. Why does it matter Mm -hmm. what my time is? Right. And, and so when we're talking about, you know, automaticity, um, it, you know, um, the, the importance of it is not solely so you can shoot quicker bill drills or whatever, right. The, the purpose of it is because in a stressful situation where you are your life is in threat being threatened and you have to take in a huge amount of information about changing backdrops where you are the threat the distances all other people all kinds of all of these other factors in order to do that skillfully and be able to do it well you can't be the the the, the you have to automate things like draw uh, uh, your your trigger press being able to see what, uh, know how quickly you can press the trigger in between shots based off of what you're seeing. Like those things kind of have to be almost automated, not where you're, you know, you, you're, you're not doing it with some level of consciousness, but like you can't be focused on that skill because then you won't see the person running in front of you or, Mm-hmm. you know the environment around you so that's why like autumn automaticity or these drills um are so important in in kind of gauging and you mentioned this in the in the shooter ready challenge and it's kind of like a carryover from last week where he we talked about how to keep your data and, and kind of look at it but like that's why the data is important and it, it's it's a great tool for individual growth and and getting better and i know i'm i'm progressing in these things but it's also a good kind of snapshot to say like, okay, you know, from people who study deadly force encounters and, and, and how quickly things happen and, and, and those types of things, um, this is basically where I want to be time-wise in these drills. And that's a, you know, and so um, since we're, you know, we're talking to competitive shooters here as well as defensive shooters, but um in a defensive context, that's why, you know, cause I, I, I do hear sometimes people say, well, I'm a defensive shooter. There's no timer in a, a defensive shooting as long as I can do it and blah, blah, blah. And that might be true, but these are ways that you can kind of, um, yep. test those skills and, and kind of see where you are. In my simplistic way of explaining what you just, I guess, eloquently explained, <laughs> uh, it's just that, you know, the the more automatic the shooting skills become, the more you are able to apply brain processing power to the tactical problem at hand. And that is super, super important. Mm-hmm. Because if your shooting skill is not at a level yet, like if, if it, or excuse me, if your shooting skill is at a level where you still kind of have to think your way through some of what you do, I'm not saying all of it, but like if you, the more you have to be thinking about what you're doing with the gun, that's stuff that you can't be thinking. You know, that's just taking away from your ability to think about the actual problem at hand. And that's really, I just had to lunch with a friend yesterday and we were talking about this very thing. And I was, exp- I was telling him like, that's kind of what's driven me to take my skill as far as I can feel like I can and to get into like competitive shooting and stuff because competitive shooting has been one avenue that's pushed me to 
push my skill, you know, further and further and further along. Um, but my, like one of my big motivating driving factors for that is simply this desire of being able to perform with a pistol more or less autom- automatically or subconsciously, you know, to, to remove the necessity for me to think about what I'm doing with the gun in my hand and think about the problem. Cause I just have this inherent, this strong belief that if I can do that, I'm going to do so much better because I have freed up brain processing available to me to, to do that. It's not all that different from, I mean, just think about driving your car, right? Um, we, the, the crazy thing is, is, I mean, obviously there's different, there's varying levels of skill, even within American drivers of vehicles. Uh, we all know that there, there's bad drivers out there and there's good drivers and there's everybody else in between. Uh, but by and large, most people are pretty decent drivers um, and, and are able to perform driving the, the skill, the act of driving at a pretty subconscious level. And what that looks like is you think go and you're not thinking about, I take my right foot and I put it here and I push the pedal this certain amount to get a certain response from the vehicle to begin moving forward and, and going through the, the intersection. Oh, it's time for me to turn left. Well, let's see. I need to take my left hand and move it here to this lever and push downward to turn on the left turn signal. And I need to do that approximately 200 feet before I arrive at this intersection or whatever, right? Um, like we don't think of those like individual steps. So we don't think of all the, and there's a lot going on sometimes at, at, at the same time. I'm, I'm dealing with that right now with a 15-year-old son who recently <laughs> got his driver's permit. And, you know, we've been, he's been driving, you know, with mom and dad around and here and there. And it's like, you know, he, he's made the comment. He's like, there's a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah. And son, the more you practice, the more this will become intuitive and subconscious. And you won't have to think about this thing so much as like what you're having to do right now. And that'll free you, you up to be able to pay attention more what's going on around the car and what's coming towards you and anticipating like not just even noticing the car right in front of you, but three cars ahead and realizing, Oh, they're coming to a sudden stop, which means this one in front of me is going to be coming to a stop. I should prepare for that. Um, You know, it's, it's been kind of mind opening to have a child that I, that, you know, like obviously I remember being, I've kind of forgotten what it's like, but, but, but you do kind of go back and remember it as I'm watching my son learn, it's reminding me of a lot of those same lessons myself and shooting's not any different. But the thing is, is we get, most Americans get way more practice driving than they do shooting a gun. And so it becomes an intuitive, subconscious, automatic level of skill way quicker and is maintained a lot better because many of us are typically driving on a daily basis and we're not shooting or we're not dry firing on a daily basis. Right. And so, but the whole point here is, is that when driving my car, I'm not thinking of all these individual steps. I just, my mind becomes the hands, becomes the foot, becomes the pedals, becomes the steering wheels, becomes the car. And I simply think of my objective and what I want to achieve and subconsciously 
my hands and feet apply the level of control needed to accomplish that objective. So it's the same thing with a gun, but many of us either don't get the opportunities or don't prioritize enough of, of practicing, you know, to a level where that becomes more and more automatic. Well, many, many of you listening to this podcast probably are, because that's why you're here and that's why you're listening to it. And this is just another example and another encouragement for you to continue on that path, because the more you do this, the better you're going to get, the more automatic it becomes, the better you'll be able to perform. And instead of you thinking, I want to put a bullet in this part of my target. And how do I do that? Well, my hands got to grab my shirt and clear the garment and my hands got to grip the gun a certain way. And I got to bring it up and let's see, where's my support hand on go again on the gun. Oh yeah. Um, You know, you, you just do it and you just look at the target and you're like, I need to put around there now. And you, draw, present, fire with a sight picture. And you do all that without even thinking. That's where we want to get. (laughs) Lots of uh, stuff I didn't know we were going to dive into today. Hey. While talking about something so simple as a three-round drill. But that's the beauty of the drill. And that's, that's the... That's why it was cool that you used that drill and how you set it up. So that it facilitated a great conversation, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd like to think with the other recent shooter rate challenges that we've done and some of the, the addition of like, say context in the form of, well, here's how you take data from a drill that you're working on, even in dry fire, record that data analyze that data, track that data, you know, and now apply it continually to things like this simple three round drill that you can work on and you can revisit again and again and again and see, Hey, am I getting, am I breaking into that two second failure drill category? Am I breaking into that 1.5 second failure drill category? Am I, am I getting beyond that? So there you go. Hopefully putting it all together. Yeah. Good deal. Any other thoughts on the topic here today, Matthew? No, just, uh, I don't know. We didn't really mention, we didn't really define like, or differentiate dry fire and, and live fire with this drill. But, um, we did mention there, there is some sort of recoil management in, you know, but like Mm -hmm. you can absolutely get a tremendous amount of, uh, value out of dry firing this, even for the naysayers that, Hey, there's no recoil. If, if you dry fire this drill, you will perform much better when you go to live fire. So, um, so, so don't, don't just save it for the, the live fire and and, and do do dry fire as well. Yep. 100%. 100%. Good stuff, man. Folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, this this episode, this content here today. Uh, of course, you can always uh, let us know that you did enjoy it or didn't enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> you can contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com to uh, reach out to us, ask questions, send feedback, uh, send praise, whatever it is. <laughs> um, before we let you go, though, we do need to announce our weekly podcast winner. We do. 
Yeah. So this week, oh, by the way, we do this each week, right? Uh, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize for the link where you can go and join and make sure that uh, you're signed up each week. You need to, you do need to repeat that every week because it does reset. Uh, so basically from Monday, uh, I do I think that cutoff time each week or reset time is basically early Monday morning or mm-hmm. Sunday night yeah. at midnight or something to that effect, right? Early Monday morning. Yeah. So sometime between Monday morning and the following Monday morning, mm-hmm. you need to get in there and go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and fill out the form there. Make sure you're signed up for the weekly giveaway for a chance to win, win free prizes. What are we giving away today? Who's our, what's our winner getting today? The winner is getting a barrel block with a K of their choice of caliber. Barrel block with a K. <laughs> cool. All right. Winner is going to get a barrel block. Next week's winner is going to get, it looks like a ready up gear handgun cleaning kit. Yeah. It's a good, good, uh, good value there. Hey, good value look, price. Here's one right here. Although it's got, I think the older style logo on it. Uh, we had some initially produced that looked like this. Uh, the current ones are a little bit different, but there you go. That's a ready up gear handgun cleaning kit. Simple kit, but pretty much all the tools and things you might need for your common handgun calibers, including patches and jags and cleaning rods and all that. Nice little kit, nice value. That's what you're going to have an opportunity to win next week. So who's our winner though today of the barrel block? This winner, this week's winner is Richard K with a K. <laughs> Richard K with a K. <laughs> Richard K, I will be in contact with you, sir. Richard K with a K is winning a barrel block with a K. <laughs> Good job. Congrats, Richard. Well, folks, uh, one final uh, reminder and shout out to our sponsors of today's episode. Uh, one of those being Barrel Block with a K, barrelblock.com. And the other is laserapp.com, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. Hope that you will check out their fabulous dry fire software. So with that, we are going to bid you adieu until next time. Uh, heads up, we, we did do this episode a day earlier than usual. Matthew and Jacob is our anticipation that they will be back here tomorrow uh, for the second episode of this week. I'm going to be out tomorrow afternoon, which is why Matthew and I connected today. <laughs> so glad to that we could have done it, Matthew, even though you are also kind of away from things, or at least you're not in your usual location. So thanks for uh, doing this and being a part of it, brother. Yeah, thank you. Love it, man. So folks, until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.